Well, Sherry is at a family reunion today, and so we are going to close out together our uh, conversation about the call. We've been following along in Adam Hamilton's book, The Life and Message of the Apostle Paul. And so tonight we're going to primarily cover his final years and his legacy, maybe how he's a biblical model for us to strive for, being faithful unto death, and um, thinking about how um, we're creating our own legacy, how we're working intentionally toward that in our lives. So as I reflect on Paul's last few years together with you this evening, consider the years that you've had and the ones still ahead of you. Let us pray. Holy God, help us to hear your call in our lives. Above all things, to be faithful to you. Show us what it is we may need to release so that we may be more open to the Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So keeping to the sports analogy as I begin with a Second Timothy, you'll hear it. We're going to start with something pretty familiar, I think, to most of us here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We are now entering the home stretch uh, for the study that we have been doing. And we have a little brief timeline here that shows you where we're uh, picking up. You left off last week with the third missionary journey. And so we're around the year 55 AD. And then for about a decade is the period of time that we are looking at to uh, consider Paul's life. But during this time frame, there was a moving letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, when we think when he, maybe he was in Rome, and we were asking, he was asking Timothy to, to bring some things to him. He wanted him to bring him a cloak, maybe that he had left behind, and scrolls. In particular, he especially wanted the parchments. So at the time of his writing, Paul is looking death in the eye. Maybe he sees a shadow of his death just up ahead, and he's resolved to keep on learning and growing right up to the end. I joke here at Bethany a lot, uh, maybe inappropriately, that if you're not dead, you're not done. Some of you have heard me say that before. If you're not dead, you're not done. And, and Paul was not done, even as his final days were approaching. He was going to uh, keep on learning and following Christ and offering him. Our ages and our conditions pale in comparison to the authority of God's call to be faithful. And only climbing into your deathbed do you get to make the same claims that Paul himself got to make. And I've got a little bit more of this passage. He writes, As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing Paul's words, knowing that his time was coming to an end, but he also know, knew that he would be dying to rise with Christ after his death. Paul may be spent, but he faces the end of his life with the hope that has sustained him for the three decades of his evangelistic adventures. And before he closes out not only his ministry, but also his life in Rome, Paul plans his return one last time to Jerusalem. And I showed you that timeline uh, before we get to this part where he's writing to Timothy. He's on this third missionary journey, and he's thinking about going back to Jerusalem. And his friends and fellow missionaries are not pleased about this prospect. Jewish leaders are gnashing their teeth and plotting against him that if he shows his faiths again, this is another opportunity that they have to kill him. But Paul's face is set to Jerusalem. Just as Jesus had his face set to Jerusalem when it wasn't the safest choice 
to make. And so when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I hear more echoes of Jesus in this passage saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Hearing Peter trying to stop him from what God has planned for him. This temptation before him to do other than be faithful to God's call in his life. Peter, who misunderstood the obedience of Jesus to his father's will, a faithfulness so deep that it cannot be thwarted by the kingdom of the world or by the shortcomings or the lack of understanding of the followers. And Paul, too, is all in with all that he is and all that he has. This is the legacy he is creating in life that will outlive him. And he cannot be swayed from his call to be faithful, even as his friends beg him not to go. He says, now as a captive to the spirits, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. So he kind of knows things aren't going to be easy. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. He is remaining faithful to that call to go and serve. Here at Bethany, in my call to serve, I only have to face angry congregants sometimes who might write or say mean things about me. It's not so bad. This call to commit life to Jesus, just Jesus, if we're really truly living faithfully into it, it can anger a lot of people. Living as a follower of the way, truly following what Jesus has taught us, it doesn't fit well into the world that we live in. No matter how much we want to claim ourselves as Christians, our loved ones as Christians, our community, our nation as Christian, we don't look too different from those who are not. Now we can use that to our advantage, just like Paul did. Paul focused on what he needed to be, to be present with the people. You're Jewish? I am. I'm a Jew. You're a Roman citizen? I'm a Roman citizen. Oh, you make tents? So do I. Paul knew how to fit in and meet the people where they were. That's the easy part, getting to fit in with the people. The struggle is then bringing the gospel into the conversation, into those relationships. Nick just sang this great song during our offering, and I wanted to pull those, some of the lyrics out for us again to get into a, a legacy of faith, state of mind, for us to chew on. So I'm going to give you these words, if I can find them here on my screen. Some words for us to be thinking about as we consider legacy for ourselves. I've never been good at change. If I'm honest, it's always scared me. But I can't deny this stirring deep inside me, and I know it's time to stop resisting because I'm not getting any younger. Fear is such a sad way to live a life. So face to the wind, I'm jumping out. I'm walking in every single thing you, God, want to show me. Nobody said this call to faith would be easy. Anyone who did never went through anything painful. But faith is not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard. So we walk on whatever may come. There will be ups and downs. 
There will be highs and lows, taking in, letting go, to tears and laughter of the great unknown, to the open journey into faith I go. When I saw these lyrics that we would be singing, I just really immediately thought of Paul's story. And I wondered where our story fits in. Into faith we go. These lives we claim together as part of the Bethany family are meant to endure. Even in the storms of life that can shake us and scare us. Our faith, that of us which is rooted in God and standing on the foundation of Christ. That faith is not a fragile thing that shatters in hard times. If a church leader dies, if Sherry is away on a Saturday or... If a denomination fails, into faith we go. Our faith must not come to an end when all other things cease. Our call to faith outlasts it all. So if you are facing imprisonment and persecution, or as Paul prayed, a scowl or a jeer from others around you, do you continue on the journey of faith? Paul does. Paul keeps going into faith. And so he goes to Jerusalem. I took this picture actually of a model of what Jerusalem looked like during the second temple period. This is what Paul would have seen, would have been familiar for him. But Paul shared with the Christian Jews in Jerusalem about his evangelism with the Gentiles on his missionary journeys, giving them a little bit of debrief about what they have been supporting. And this old conflict stirs up again about the law from Moses. Paul did not insist that the Gentiles follow the Jewish law. And most of the Jewish leaders had finally agreed on this. No need for circumcision. No dietary restrictions from unclean food. It's okay. But Paul went even further. He came to this logical conclusion in his beliefs that God didn't require not just the Gentiles, but also the Jews. That God didn't require the Jews to follow Mosaic law either. Paul anticipated that day that would come when there would no longer be Jew or Greek or Gentile of any kind. There would no longer be slave or free, even to the point of reconsidering this law that they held so dear. The leaders who created that new thing called Christianity out of their commitment to Christ, Christ alone above all things, they didn't allow laws of circumcision or diet or Moses to get in the way of those passionate for Jesus, those claiming him as God with us, our Emmanuel, our Lord and Savior. The call from God to be faithful overcame all drive and zeal for anything else. Even this Pharisee Paul could turn. He could change from his zealousness for protecting the Jewish way and thought to allow for God's movement in the world that we know as Jesus. God's presence for all the people to see and to choose and to follow. Paul didn't believe that the law was the basis for salvation. And, which, and that was really scandalous at the time. And if you're paying attention, it's still scandalous now. But Paul also, he never told the Jews that they had to set aside the law. He loved the law of his people. He loved the people. He loved the temple. He loved the rituals. But when it came to salvation... God's blessings and love and mercy through Christ were gifts only received in faith. The gift of life now and the life that was yet to come 
For us, we know that as God's grace alone and never through the law. But there are terrible links that people will go to to protect their ways. For Paul, that was the threat of death throughout his entire ministry. Religious beliefs can be dangerous. They are passionate, deeply held convictions that people are willing to resort to violence for. But for us, my brothers and sisters, for us as followers of Jesus, this should never be the case for us. It means for us no violent acts, no violent words, no violent thoughts against one another. Jesus' call and command to us was to love our neighbor and to love our enemies. And that pretty much shuts it down, shuts the door on that option for us to be violent in our faith response as we ourselves are called to be God's. And so Paul witnesses to salvation in Christ and he's arrested and he testifies to his faith and he's threatened by death and he's rescued by Roman soldiers. He kind of sets up this pattern where he keeps having to be rescued from the ministry that he remains faithful to because it is very dangerous for him. Christ's way is a threat to the old way. For his own safety, not because Paul is running away or, or silencing his voice from speaking Christ, but the Roman soldiers take him away to keep him safe, and he's moved to Caesarea by the sea, where he is kept in a, in a prison to keep him safe. Uh, this is um, near Tel Aviv, and we just visited there uh, last month as well. So you can see the ruins of an old city that was built by Herod the Great. Paul's in prison there for a couple years, and traditionally there's a spot that marks his cell, but my hope is that he got to see the beautiful Mediterranean Sea sometimes. Paul did not waste away in a prison cell or use the incredible view of the city or the sea as a vacation destination. He was given liberty to be visited and cared for by his friends. He probably continued to write letters of encouragement to the churches, and he witnessed to the jailers. Paul could probably have stayed there indefinitely, but the governor at the time changed and when the new one came in, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem saw another opportunity. So they petitioned to send Paul back to Jerusalem so they could try to kill him again. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul wants to go to Rome to continue the work that he was doing there. And he had an unlikely opportunity. Since the governor at Caesarea changed, there was a king. King Agrippa came to welcome the new governor, and Paul got to speak with him. And the king was so moved, he was just short of converting to Christianity himself, but he was convinced enough to send Paul to Rome to testify before the emperor there. And it was on Rome's dime as well. And so he faced the Mediterranean and set off to sea. And Sherry and I say hi to y'all from the Mediterranean. <laughs> So this is a beautiful summer sea. It looks very inviting. It is just gorgeous and wonderful to go and play in. But it wasn't summertime when Paul was sailing. And so it was a long and rough trip late in the fall. It resulted in Paul's fourth shipwreck. There were strong winds and waves and storms, difficult sea travel, which is usually avoided as the winter approaches. Paul knows this, and he warned the captain and the crew and his captors that they would suffer heavy loss of ship, of cargo, of lives. And I think after having already experienced three shipwrecks and being adrift at sea, he was really anxious and he knew what he was talking about. But he was ignored by the captain. He's a tent maker. He's a rabble rouser. What does he know about sailing? Nothing. 
So as the storm worsened and they started tossing cargo off of the ship, Paul was visited by an angel on this journey. An angel reassured him that he and the crew would all be rescued, but the ship wasn't going to make it. And sure enough, that's just what happened. The ship was destroyed by waves, and everyone made it safely to Malta, delivered by God who worked through Paul, preaching even during his imprisonment. So Rome's going to have to wait a little bit longer, but Malta reaped the benefits of Paul's presence there. Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake. He didn't die. He didn't get sick. They thought he was a god. Paul prayed for them, and they were healed. And he taught about Jesus. The crew spent the three winter months on Malta until spring came and they could continue the journey. So I want to pause and ask you to consider your own journeys. As you've traveled, say, by car, you've run out of gas maybe or had a flat tire, had to replace a hose or a belt. Not so bad. If Sherry was preaching to you, she would go over the details of how she got to the Holy Land and back. There were a lot of issues that seemed to plague her travels. I've been on flights that ended up going to cities that were not on the flight plan and once had to spend the night in Memphis because even though the plane I was supposed to board was right there, they'd close the gate and they would not let me get on the plane. So maybe I was 24 hours late to where I meant to go. Paul's one-month trip to Rome ended up taking five to six months to get there. And he didn't even have clean restrooms or flight attendant service or heating and maybe since he didn't have social media to complain about the horrific conditions of his travel details, he, instead he prayed and he taught and he healed and shared Christ through it all. This is a huge legacy. This alone right here, can you say that you share Christ well when you're delayed in traffic? Do you share Christ well when you're waiting behind a soccer mom van full of kids in the drive through line waiting to get your take-home meal? Do you share Christ when another Bethany member disagrees with your theology? We struggle in that. And then there's Paul facing illness, persecution, prison, and death. He still offers Christ in his words and his actions. Under house arrest, under his own expenses for at least two years, Paul met with Jewish leaders and Roman citizens and continued to preach and teach the gospel of salvation through Christ. And as we come to his death, the timing and actual circumstances remain a mystery. We know he was arrested and tried in Rome, maybe twice, we don't know. It's possible he made a fourth missionary journey. It's also possible that he went before Emperor Nero and testified to his faith. And Emperor Nero at the time, or around that time frame, was also persecuting Christians. What we do know is that he was moved from his house arrest to a prison to the site of execution where he was beheaded. And we also know that that is not the end of Paul's story. His story continues in the churches he founded, the converts he made, the letters that he wrote, and the teachings others heard and then captured in their own writings. Other than Paul, Jesus Christ is the only one who made a bigger impact on what has become Christianity for us today. Paul wrote, to live is Christ, to die is gain. His life was committed to this one thing, Jesus Christ. This staunch Jew gave up his traditions, some of his people, his pursuit, his career, only to pursue Christ, to offer only Christ to all people. In death, 
he gains the salvation about which he preached. In his death and his legacy, we gain for the world his message that did not die when he did. And Paul wrote some pretty harsh letters to churches. It wasn't just words of encouragement. He wrote some hard words about their behaviors when they were kind of falling back into old bad habits. He had to play the prophet and offer hard truths because he longed better for them out of his love for Christ for them. And churches confessed and repented and they grew and they spread as part of his legacy. All that Paul accomplished in his faith through many trials and tribulations, spread the gospel across the Roman Empire. It founded churches. It raised up leaders of the way and shaped the way of the Christian church for millennia. Since such a large part of his legacy is enduring in faith, in spite of his hardship, it's important that we hear his words as he sums up what it is he included in his legacy, in his ministry. And I'm going to jump down a little bit. Imprisonments, countless floggings, near death, five times the 40 lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, a stoning. Here he says, three times I was shipwrecked. You can update that to four times. Adrift at sea, in danger from rivers, bandits, people, Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, and from false brothers and sisters. Sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, no food or clothes or shelter. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. We don't know a whole lot collectively in our lives about the struggle like he did to be a person of faith in life-threatening situations. And I know there are a number of us here who have had life-threatening situations. But usually with resources on hand to help food and shelter and clean water and medical care. I don't know that anyone here has been flogged or stoned or beaten with a rod or adrift at sea. We are all under pressure for the anxiety for the church. We should pray for the church as well as pray for ourselves to continue to be faithful to God through our work in and through and beyond the church. So many things feel bad and stressful and conflicted in our daily lives. But Paul faced that and more as well. And what do we say about these things, these struggles that we face? If God is for us, who's against us? Who will separate us from love of Christ? Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. No, in all these things, we are more. More than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present or to come, powers, height, depth, anything, nothing at all in all of creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from this great love that God has for us today. Paul's words of encouragement give us his confidence. They give us help to not lose hope. And they invite us into the peace of the Spirit that passes all understanding. All these things that are another part of his legacy that we have because of him. And so he writes what he does and what we ourselves are to do in these situations. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. 
Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul led as a Christian for only 30 years before his death. Has anyone here known Christ for longer than 30 years? Anybody? Just me? I'm at least getting some nods. <laughs> Many of you have known Christ for longer than 30 years. Paul's unwavering faith still inspires Christians around the world. What can we say of our faith as the people of God here at Bethany? Our legacy is founded in Jesus Christ, and also Paul, and also John Wesley. Bethany's legacy is one of worship and service and discipleship and generosity, all for the glory of God and the love of Christ. And unfortunately, I don't have time to celebrate so many of our ministries and missions that tell the story of our call and how much we have cared for one another as brothers and sisters, how much we have reached out and cared for this community. But the Holy Spirit is alive and well here and uniting us in Christ alone to keep building our legacy. Not to be faithful to Paul or even the John Wesley or to Moses' law, not to be faithful to the United Methodist Church or to Bethany or to the pastors, but called to be faithful only to who? who? Christ. That's it. Called to be faithful to Christ alone. And then how about you, my dear sister? How about you, my brother? As you think about all that has come to pass, because Paul remained faithful, as you reflect on the Bethany story of the story of your own church and how your church has changed lives and communities by its presence and its ministry, what legacy are you creating yourself? A final question. This is your homework to take with you, and I think it's on, in your bulletin. What won't happen if you don't do what God has called you to do? All of us are called to be faithful. And that means God is equipping us with gifts meant to be shared in the world. Spiritual gifts, our talents, ways that we are to worship and serve and learn and give. Far beyond what we think capable of ourselves, but able to do because we answer that call to be faithful to God. So consider if you don't do that, if you don't answer that call, what won't happen if you don't do what God has called you to do? And pay attention to what you are called to do and offer that.